Well, good morning, everyone. So glad that you're here. I'm uh, happy to see those of you who are not normally members here, but you've come to visit family. We're, we're so happy to welcome you and to see you and hope that you'll stick around afterwards as we get some time for fellowship in the, in the AFC Center down the hallway once we're done. Uh, and we are just uh, really thankful, especially today, as uh, we've just been reminded of already about the freedom that we have in Christ Jesus uh, as individuals, but also as a nation. And we want to just reflect on that and celebrate that today and also be praying for people, fellow brothers and sisters around the world who don't share those freedoms. We need to be praying for them and for the kingdom of God worldwide. So like to welcome all of you who are watching online as well, and uh, we would encourage you to get in touch with us. If you'd like to know more about our church, you can just enter into the chat box there. We would love to hear from you and know where you are watching us from. I was a missionary in Thailand for a number of years, and one of the things that I like to do when visitors came to Thailand and wanted to know more about the Thai culture and just to be able to see that country, I would take them to the palace, a summer palace in the ancient city, the former capital of Siam or Thailand at the time called Ayutthaya. It's about an hour's drive north of Bangkok. And I love to go show them a monument, a very large Monument, and it was a monument erected to the Thai queen, a Thai queen of King Rama V, the fifth king of the Chakri dynasty. And this queen tragically drowned on May the 31st in 1880. She drowned in the Chaopraya River as she was making her way from the palace in Bangkok to the summer palace up in Ayutthaya. And the barge that she was in got caught up in a current, and it uh, began to sink, and she drowned. To make the tragedy even more magnified, she had with her a 15-month-old daughter, the princess, and she was also pregnant with another child. Now, this is already heartbreaking, But what makes it even more heartbreaking is that as the barge began to sink in the river, no one was able to save her. They weren't able to save her not because they couldn't see her, not because they didn't hear the cries that she was offering for help. They couldn't save her because they could not, by law, touch her. The Thai law at the time was very specific, and it forbade any commoner to touch any one of royalty. Historian Eunice Matthews records a translation in English of this very clear and specific law in the following way. If the boat or the royal barge founders, the boatmen must swim away. If they remain near the boat, they are to be executed. 
If the boat founders and the royal person falls into the water and is about to drown, let the boatman stretch out the signal spear and throw coconuts so that he may grasp them if he can. If he cannot, they may let him seize the signal spear if they lay hold on him to rescue him, they are to be executed. Did you get this? This law was so specific that if you were a commoner and your king or your queen or someone in the royal family was right there in front of you, the, the best that you could do by law was to pitch coconuts into the river so maybe they could grab onto a coconut to keep from being submerged in the water. Or maybe even they could grab the tip of a signal spear and you could drag them to safety. But you were forbidden by law to touch someone of royal descent. This grieving King Judah Longhorn realized the foolishness of this law and right after this tragedy he changed it forever. This summer we're looking at Jesus we're doing a series called Out of the Shadows, and we're looking at Jesus, especially how Jesus interacts with those that society had pushed to the margins, those that society doesn't see, those that society rejects, those that they avoided. And we've seen that Jesus was born into a culture that anthropologists call an honor-shame culture. And we've seen that these social relational groupings were on a vertical line and those with honor were at the top. They were separated by, uh, by distance from those who lived and were given the, the designation of shame in their culture. And we've also seen that this is not the way that God originally attended intended in his creation. We've seen that in Genesis 1 and 2, as we read the text, that the relationships were seen and described more in a horizontal way, described with language that, that implies face-to-face -face and side-to-side. -side. But we also see that after sin enters into the world, this horizontally connected community became a vertically aligned community where some were on the top and others were pushed into the shadows, into the bottom of the vertical scale of honor and shame. So today we're going to be looking at a story that's one of my favorites, one that probably if you've been in church, if you've gone to vacation Bible schools, if you've gone to Sunday school, you probably have heard this story over and over and over again. And my challenge this morning is for us to read this story as if we're reading it for the first time, to, to grow from the second grade or middle school level of understanding that we have of this story and really be able to see it in a, a way that gives us more depth to find treasures, to find treasures of wisdom in this story. 
Now, this story is found in, in Matthew's gospel and in Mark's gospel, but we're going to focus today on Luke's telling of this story. We're going to be in Luke chapter 5, and we're going to start in verse 12. And if you've would like to open up one of the pew Bibles in front of you. I think it's on page 728. We're going to stick with this text for today. In verse 12, while Jesus was in one of the towns, a man came along who was covered with leprosy. In the scriptures, leprosy was a word that was used for a wide range of severe skin diseases. Today, the leprosy that we think of is is also known by the technical term Hansen's disease. And leprosy attacks the nervous system in, in such a way that a person loses all sensation of pain. I remember reading the biography of missionary Um, Paul, he was a missionary in Dr. Paul Brand who did his work in India. And he was one of the first to observe that those with leprosy, they, they, it affected their fingers, their toes, the soft cartilage on their body, mainly because it lost feeling. And he tells of a story of one time when he was trying to get into a cabinet and the door, the lock seemed to be stuck. And and a 10-year-old young boy that had leprosy uh, and was there in the community of lepers went over and he took it and he took the key and he grabbed it real hard and finally was able to pry the lock open. And Dr. Brand looked at his hand and he saw that he had grabbed it the key and the lock so hard that it had sliced his finger all the way to the bone. And he saw at that time, and he'd be able to, he was able to make the connection that leprosy was a numbing disease. It numbed the nervous system. And so, so you would, it would be typical to see if you were to go to India or Thailand or places where leprosy uh, is still around, it's harder to find Uh, in these days, but you would see that many of those who suffered with leprosy would have their fingers or their toes uh, damaged through lifetime of of abuse. They They would put their hand in the fire and feel no pain and burn themselves severely. Or they would possibly step on a thorn in the path and and this thorn would remain in their foot and they would feel nothing in there with There was no cure for them. A leper was basically, literally, walking dead. Even around 50 years ago, um, even in Thailand, many of the, the communities of lepers that I was able to visit, they would talk about how when they were sent to the leper community, that their family would actually have a funeral for them because they knew that they would never see them again as they joined this community of lepers um, outside of the cities and, and civilization. But here in our text, Luke the doctor gives us a detail that's not found in Matthew or Mark's account. He says that this man was covered with leprosy. 
Now, we could interpret that, that the leprosy had spread throughout his whole body, but I think that Luke is giving us a clue that helps us understand that this man had had leprosy for a long time. He was in the latter stages of leprosy. It means that he's had it for years, possibly even decades, as it's just been gradually going cell to cell in his body. Leviticus has a lot to say about those with leprosy or skin diseases, but in Leviticus chapter 13, we read that anyone with such a defiling disease must first wear torn clothes. Okay, they had to have torn clothes. They needed to, to be able to be recognized from a distance, and so the torn clothes would give those uh, that are, were around them a clue that they were infectious, that they did have leprosy. They couldn't take care of their hair. Their hair had to be uncombed and, and just left alone. They had to cover the lower part of their face and they had to cry out any time they would meet someone, any time that, that their, the, his, the, the path would intersect with someone else, they would cry out, unclean, 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 as a warning not to come close. The lepers had to live alone, live possibly with other lepers, but they lived outside the camp. That's the language that was used. Now, being diagnosed with leprosy was bad enough. The pain, the suffering, the isolation. But from the perspective of Orthodox Judaism, being a leper in the first century, it constituted not just a physical, a physical burden, but also a moral judgment from God. In the research that I was doing, I came across some writing of scholar Alfred Edersheim. And he said that rabbis, particularly the rabbis in the, the silent period before Jesus came that we referred to last week, he said the rabbis loved to trace the disease to moral causes. And he tells about rabbis in Jesus' day and this was hard for me to, to really read, but he said that they, they said that there were two conditions where it was clear that God's discipline was punishment, punishment for sin, not out of love, but, but only punishment for sin. And these two conditions were leprosy and childlessness, that these were evidence that they had sinned or their parents had sinned and God was punishing them in these ways. These rabbis were saying, in effect, that your offense to God is so great that this is your punishment and you deserve it. Now, I need to say right here that this teaching is not found in the Scripture. It's, it's rather the creation of of Phariseeism that was trying to explain different things and, and they came up with traditional interpretations that were not in line with God's heart of mercy and compassionate for the unfortunate. But we see this even today. Sometimes we see judgment given to people who have suffered accidents or disasters or disease as God's judgment on them as well. 
Edersheim also tells of a rabbi who had a reputation of not eating anything, not even an egg. And I started thinking, well, why did he mention an egg? But he says, these rab this rabbi bragged that he would not even eat an egg. And I assumed it was because the egg was protected. It had this shell around it. And he wouldn't even eat an egg from the street where a leper had been spotted. And he talks about another rabbi who would carry rocks in his pocket, ready to throw them at any leper he and his disciples might see. I can understand a schoolyard bully maybe throwing rocks, but it would be wrong for the principal to be out there throwing rocks. And this is kind of what's happening here. The rabbis are the ones carrying the rocks. And if they saw a rab if they saw a, a person with leprosy, they would pull the rock out of their pocket. They would take aim and they would throw it at the one who was suffering from leprosy. Now, because of this, just as no one within, in their right mind would ever think of going up and touching a leper, the opposite is true, too. No leper would ever think of approaching a rabbi. That would be unheard of because to them, the rabbis and the teachers of the law were watchdogs of religious tradition, and that being around them or or being close to them only intensified their shame and their humiliation. But, but look what happens in our story today. We'll continue reading in verse 12. When this, when this leper, this man who was covered with leprosy, saw Jesus, he fell with his face to the ground and begged him, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. I want us to note here, somehow this leper, somehow this leper realized that Jesus was different. Maybe, maybe as he sat in the shadows and he heard people talk, maybe he heard them say, Oh, have you heard about this, this rabbi, this new rabbi Jesus? I mean, have you heard about the way that he heals people? Have you heard about the way that he talks to people? Somehow, he realized that Jesus was different. And so, as he approached Jesus, rather than rush away, he actually came close and he gets close enough to where Jesus looks at him. And their eyes meet. And the leper looks into Jesus' eyes. And he sees something that he hasn't seen in another human being in over a decade, most likely. He doesn't see loathing. He sees concern. He doesn't see fear. He sees sympathy. He doesn't see rejection. He sees love and acceptance. In fact, in, in Mark's account, the word, the, the Greek word that is used there actually indicates a little bit of anger. And it's almost as if when Jesus sees this leper and sees how he's been treated, and he knows that this is not how God created his, his world, he knows that this isn't how God wanted it to be, there's a little bit of righteous anger there as Jesus sees the leper. So when the leper 
sees this in the eyes of Jesus. He falls at Jesus' feet with his face to the ground, and he implores him. He says, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. If you're willing, you can make me clean. I hope that you can pause and listen to the leper's voice. Listen to the agony that's in this question. I hope that you can hear the mental and the emotional anguish in this question. He was sick of being treated like garbage. He was weary of being rejected and despised by his community. Now, like everyone else who seem, seems like everyone else who comes to Jesus in the Gospels, he doesn't fully comprehend who Jesus is. And yet, even though he doesn't have a, a clear and developed systematic theology, there's one thing that he's convinced of. He's convinced that Jesus has the power to make a difference in his life. He's willing to take great risk because he knows that Jesus can change his life. Now, I find it healing, as I've been wrestling with this text this week. I find it, I find it interesting that when he, when he makes this plea from Jesus, he doesn't say, Jesus, will you heal me? Notice what he says. Jesus, can you make me clean? Can you make me clean? I don't know why, but as I've thought about it, I think, oh, for so long, this leper has been told that he was unclean. Every time he's seen someone in the distance, he's had to put his hand up and he's had to shout at the top of his lung, I'm unclean, I'm unclean, stay away. Keep at a distance. And so when he sees Jesus, he's not necessarily thinking first and foremost of healing. He uses the word, Jesus, can you make me clean? He was actually asking the unthinkable. There's only two people at that time in biblical writings that had ever been cleaned from leprosy. Miriam, the sister of Moses, and Nathan, who went to see the prophet Elisha. A woman and a Gentile. They were made clean by God's power. Perhaps, perhaps, God would show mercy on him as well. In my Bible, I've circled the next word, Lord, he says, Lord, if you're willing. It's a title of honor. It's an expression of respect and reverence. It's a title used by someone in submission to the will of another. It's a title given to God, the ruler of the universe. If you look up a few verses in, in uh, this same chapter, you can see it's how Peter addresses Jesus when he sees that even Jesus has control of the fish of the sea. He falls at Jesus' feet and he said, Lord, get away from me because I'm a sinful man. The leper falls at Jesus' feet 
And he said, Lord. Then in verse 13, something unexpected happens. Luke tells us that Jesus reached out his hand and he touched the man. He said, I am willing. Be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. He touches the leper, and in doing so, in touching this leper, Jesus brings God's biblical, God's justice and mercy to bear. And he's saying, I am willing, I'm willing, I want you to be cleansed. But in doing so, Jesus does the unthinkable. Jesus touches the untouchable. Jesus reaches down and touches someone who's anchored in shame. And in doing so, he lifts them up and he restores them to honor just as God intended from the very beginning. So what does this tell me about Jesus? Well, I think one of the things that really tugged at my heart as I looked at the text is that Jesus is bringing a new culture, a new community, and he's calling it the kingdom of God. I think it's important to notice that this is right after Jesus called his very first disciples. It's almost as if Jesus calls these disciples, and then the very first thing that he wants them to see is this healing that he does to this leper. Jesus didn't have to touch him. From our perspective, we know that Jesus could have healed him just by word of mouth. Jesus could have healed him at a distance. But Jesus touches him. Think about that. This is someone who hasn't washed. He wasn't even allowed by law to wash his face. This is someone whose skin was infected this is someone who probably smelled terrible. His flesh was rotting away while he was still living. And yet Jesus, out of compassion, touches him. Here Jesus models to his new disciples that touching the untouchable and loving the unlovely was part of what it meant to be a disciple of Jesus you see Jesus begins this new disciples in training program by dismantling their old paradigm this this paradigm of separation of isolation from the very beginning Jesus teaches teaches them about this new life as part of the kingdom of God and in the kingdom of God, we don't see people on a vertical line of those with honor and those with shame. We don't label people as us and them. No, no labels dehumanize and labels justify our unkind action. As disciples of Jesus, they were taught from the very beginning that, that we are to look out in society for those that are on the shadows, those that are labeled 
as unclean, but we're to look out for them, not to avoid them, not to withdraw from them, but to go and to touch them and to show them the love of Jesus who said, I am willing, be clean. I also think of this leper. This leper had not felt the touch of someone without leprosy for many years. And I cannot in my mind, I can't go there. I can't go there to try to figure out what that must have been like for him. What did he feel? What did he think? What was his reaction when he felt the hands of Jesus reaching out and touching him? Well, we get to verse 14, and Jesus orders him, Don't tell anyone, but go and show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. And then Luke records, Yet the news about him spread all the more so that the crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sickness but Jesus often withdrew to the lonely places and prayed. So Jesus, having just miraculously healed this, ex, this leper, he now tells the ex-leper this is his task. He says, I want you to go to the temple and present yourself to the priest. I want you to be certified as clean so that you can once again enter society. Jesus wanted not just physical cleansing, but also social and spiritual cleansing as well. And he says, I want you to deliver a message to the temple leadership that people covered with leprosy are being healed. Now, this is significant because if you go back and you read in Isaiah the marks of the coming age, the marks of the new age, the marks of the, of the coming of the messianic age, one of those marks is that lepers will be cleansed. And right here at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, he says, I want you to go and be my messenger to the temple and let them know that lepers are being cleansed. But notice what happens. I think that Luke writes this intentionally for us. He says the leper was unable to keep this news to himself, and so crowds of people began to seek Jesus, and Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. I think Luke wants us to notice something here. This is like a treasure. If you study the text deep enough and you, and you really wrestle with the text, you find these hidden, these buried treasures. And I think that Luke has buried a treasure here. And that treasure is he wants us to notice what happened. That as Jesus touches the leper, this begins a process where Jesus and the leper trade places. You see, it's the leper now who can go to the temple. It's the leper now who can go into society, but it's Jesus who withdraws and he spends time in the lowly, lonely and solitary places. This is important because I think this is what Jesus has done for us. I really think that we should see ourselves as the leper in this story. You see, throughout the Bible, leprosy and sin 
are used to describe each other. That sin is used as a metaphor, or rather leprosy is used as a metaphor of sin. And that, that we can see ourselves as sinners in need of someone who can cleanse us. And Jesus looks at us and says, I am willing, be cleansed. The Apostle Peter, in writing to the scattered churches in chapter 2, verse 24, says, He himself, speaking of Jesus, bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds we have been healed. There's this great exchange that takes place here that that. Peter points us to. And then Paul does the same thing. As he writes to the church at Corinth, he says, For our sake, God, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Oh, you see, our sin, Jesus absorbs in himself. The curse that, that was ours, Jesus took it into himself. The punishment that should be ours, Jesus took it upon himself. Jesus looks at us as spiritual lepers and he looks at us in the face and he says, I am willing. If we'll just come to him, I am willing to cleanse you. This is a wood carving that is one of the most precious things that I have in my house. It's precious to me because this is a wood carving of Jesus touching and cleansing a leper. The reason that this has so much value to me is that this wood carving was carved by a man who was at an advanced stage of leprosy. I was able to go and to talk to him. I was able to ask him about this carving. And he says, I carved this because this is my favorite story in the Bible. I said, what do you like about this story? And he said, I love this story because Jesus touched even someone like me. Isn't that beautiful? You see, today, today we have this opportunity once again to respond to the healing, the cleansing touch of Jesus. We don't have to have a developed systematic theology we don't have to say, well, I don't know enough. I need to know more. We just need to go to Jesus, our Savior, recognizing that we are spiritual lepers, and we need to say, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And hear the voice of Jesus saying, oh, I am willing. Be cleansed. That is the good news. That's the gospel.
And so we're going to sing a song. I hope that all of us will respond to this story in your own way. I know that you feel the Holy Spirit tugging your heart. If you would like to talk about Jesus more, I'm going to be back in the, in the Welcome Center for a while. I would love to talk to you. If you'd like to be immersed into the name of Jesus, oh, this is a wonderful day for that. But may we all encourage each other together while we stand and sing.